WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Some members of Congress are now saying that NCAA student-athletes should be considered employees of the universities where they play sports, and that those employees should be able to form unions. That's exactly what new bills introduced last week in the U.S. House and Senate would do. And one of the sponsors of those bills is Michigan's own Andy Levin. He says NCAA athletes generate billions for their schools, and they should get a share of that money. Congressman Levin joins me now to talk about that issue. Congressman, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So this is an issue that's been percolating for a bit, and we've seen a little bit of movement, I think, in some discrete places about the idea of compensating college athletes. This bill is a big step forward, though, and would really change the landscape of, uh, of college athletics. Start with why now is the time, in your mind, to make student-athletes employees and allow them to unionize. Well, it's always the right time for economic and racial justice, and this is a situation where um, college sports involve a huge amount of money, billions of dollars of revenue and uh, every year, and the people who create the wealth, the players, get virtually none of it. They get a scholarship, that's great. And, you know, some of them get a scholarship, that's great. Uh, but that doesn't begin to give them anything like a fair share of what they're creating. And so it needs to happen. And there's actually a sort of a resurgence of workers forming unions across a wide range of, of areas, especially sort of cutting-age areas, young people, for example, um, online news outlets of all kinds. <laughs> so anyway, I think it's high time that we let these uh, student workers form unions. Um, and it's just a question of basic justice to me. So, so a lot of people believe that the concept of amateurism is really important in, in college sports. It's what distinguishes college sports from professional sports. Uh, talk about why that doesn't matter in your mind uh, in this conversation. Well, absolutely. The NCAA has hidden behind this concept of amateurism for years, but there is simply nothing amateur about billion-dollar television deals and multimillionaire coaches. Stephen, do you know that in two-thirds of the state, the highest-paid public employee is a basketball or football coach. Mm, wow. I mean, and, and there's a racial justice element in it, too. You know, um, the, the, uh, take, take football, uh, for example. Um, in, among Division I football players, almost, almost half were black in 2020, mm -hmm. but 83% of head coaches and 78% of athletic directors were white. They're making huge salaries. And what percentage of even the big-time football or basketball players get to the, to the uh, NFL or the NBA? It's a tiny percentage. And so these, these young people generate all this wealth, and they, they get nothing for it. And, Stephen, I even think their education could be improved. 
because you've seen the studies where the completion rates are not as high mm-hmm. for these athletes. And if they could bargain collectively, I think they could even improve their educational situation. I'm talking with uh, Congressman Andy Levin. He's a Democrat from Bloomfield Township. He represents Michigan's 9th District. He is uh, one of the sponsors of new legislation that would make NCAA student-athletes employees of their schools and allow them to unionize. Um, the, 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 the thing that I think is one of the more compelling arguments uh, behind what you're trying to do is the, the, the way that college sports has changed, especially over the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Um, and, and there are a lot of people, I think, who have spoken quite eloquently, uh, former athletes, who talk about the experience that they had and how different it was than, than it is now. Um, but they also emphasize that they were students and that uh, the student part of being an athlete was really important uh, to, their, to their experience. Do, do you think that in any way paying students to play sports interferes in that student experience. And I think that's a different concept from the amateurism question that we were talking about. Uh, I really want to know what you think about the, the, the student experience that they have. And that's not even just academic success, which is one measure of your college experience. But, but will, they, will they not have or not be uh, the, the kinds of student athletes that they are now if, if they're being paid? Well, I hope they can have a better student experience. I mean, college athletes labor under strict control of their coaches, their schools, the NCAA. And, the you know, a lot of this started in 2014 when, you may remember, Northwestern University football players tried to start forming a union, and it actually went to the National Labor Relations board process, and the regional director of the board at that time did a in really intense investigation. He found that, you know, a, a, a football player couldn't take the chemistry class they wanted mm. because the football coach basically wouldn't let them. And so I think that, uh, that being, student, being students needs to be protected. I think it's, I agree, it's a really important part of things. But, you know, there has been a wave of organizing among much more regular mm-hmm. uh, st- students, um, graduate employees, uh, people who uh, teach sections at our great universities. And many of them have formed unions so that they get better compensation, a fairer deal. And, of course, they're still students. And I don't see why, um, why these athletes having collective bargaining uh, will will uh, make that you know, make them less students. In fact, I think that there's something incredibly exciting about these students getting together as athletes, getting together throughout a conference because this our our bill would allow them to negotiate with say the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. But think of the issues they'll have to confront, Stephen. What about fairness of revenue between the sports? Mm-hmm. What about Title IX issues? It's going to be a great education for these, you know, I hate, it's hard not to call them kids, these young, <laughs> young people. You know, let's say you get on the bargaining committee 
And, you know, how are you going to distribute revenue fairly? Is it all going to stay with the basketball and football players? Or, you know, what will happen? And I think that'll be a huge civics lesson and a really a great opportunity as a student to, to think about issues of justice and to be a leader. Yeah. Uh, that, that collective bargaining dimension of this, I think, is important for exactly the reason that you just brought up. Uh, football and basketball players, if if they were to negotiate on their own, for instance, the, the the kinds of compensation that they might get, it would look really different than somebody who plays volleyball or somebody a swimmer who, who, who swims, right? Yeah, uh, and you know the market value of individual athletes also comes into play, right? I mean, you have superstars on some of these teams who play next to uh, you know, a student athlete that nobody knows. Uh, exactly. And I think what's really important for people to realize is that the history of the players associations in the National Hockey League, the National Football League, the NBA, the Major League Baseball, it's really about protecting that person who struggles in the minor leagues and comes up for four games or a few years. Nobody really knows about them. Still, Miguel Cabrera is perfectly free to, you know, as we saw years ago, negotiate these gargantuan contracts. But the the rank and file player is protected, mm. and I think and gets a fair share. the The whole thing about being able to make money off your likeness and all that stuff, I think, will help the stars tremendously. And I think they'll have to negotiate a system where the stars can get extra because they you know, have they drive a lot of the marketing and the money, but the rank and file players will be protected and will they kind of find a way to share some of this with players in other sports? It's gonna be very interesting to watch. But the point is it's better for it to for the students to have a say and for it to be more democratic mm. than for just the NCAA and, the, and to dictate everything in the schools. And that's why it'll be a much better system. Yeah. I'm talking with Congressman Andy Levin, Democrat from Bloomfield Township, about uh, new legislation of which he is a sponsor to make NCAA student-athletes employees of their schools and allow them uh, to unionize. Uh, Congressman, the National Labor Relations Board has already blocked uh, some past attempts to unionize college athletes. In 2015, it rejected a petition by Northwestern University football players who were trying to get a union started, and it called... Uh, it called that effort concerning because it, it was going to introduce what uh, NLRB says was instability in college sports. What, what's your response to that? Well, my response is that democracy and, sh- and sunshine are always uh, positive. And if uh, people want to call it unstable to let the people who actually make the money have a say in what happens to the money, I guess we have to live with some instability. But I actually think that, you know, in in company after company, uh, for example, when workers actually have a say and have collective bargaining, um, workplaces are safer. Think of concussions. Think of injuries. All of that 
is it a little bit more annoying or harder for the coach or for the athletic director to have to negotiate with the athletes about a safe system? Probably is, Stephen. Just let me tell you what to do. But, you know, it actually leads to a better system and a better society. I mean, ultimately, we are training students to be citizens and leaders. And I just see this as a wonderful opportunity for them to get practice at um, being involved in decision-making. And they should be as a matter of justice, but I also think it'll improve their education and the schools. And ultimately, I think it'll improve college sports themselves. So what about the prospects for this legislation in Congress? Uh, How likely are we to to see this move through? Well, you know, it may take some time, uh, but I think it's, it's the prospects over time are good. Look at the situation overall. We've got the Protecting the Right to Organize Act to, for, to improve collective bargaining for all private sector workers. And we haven't passed major labor law legislation in decades. But the energy around this, the, the understanding of economists, of the need for more uh, voice and power for workers in society has increased tremendously. And I think by the same token, both the economic and racial justice issues of uh, worker of, of these student workers being able to unionize are they're just overwhelming. So I think whether it happens this Congress or next, you know, we're we're going to keep on pushing. And I think we we'll keep, we've got to keep educating people. And I think the the student athletes will get more and more involved in it and it'll be a very fun ride to passing it whenever we do. Mm. Is it possible that because this is such a uh, a big step forward that you might end up having to pull back and go partway to to making them employees or or, or giving them the power to unionize. I mean, uh, is there a, a potential sort of incrementalism that that you know could could take over this and and scale it back a little? Well, you know, the sausage making of legislating <laughs> often leads to all kinds of compromises or different outcomes, unexpected outcomes. So I'm open to different ideas personally, but I don't really see this is an area where I'm not sure what incrementalism would mean, I guess. I mean, do workers have the right to have a say? Mm -hmm. You know, are these people workers who are putting in 50 hours a week, sometimes 60 hours a week? Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Any normal analysis of whether something that makes this much money and something that you work this many hours on is a job would you know, lead to an obvious outcome, even if you're also, of course, still a student. So I, I, I'm open to different ideas, but I think this is just the practical way to do it and the right way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Congressman Andy Levin, it's always great to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for your interest. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this uh, conversation about the idea of making college athletes employees and allowing them to unionize. We also want to hear from you. Do you think that NCAA student athletes should be paid? Should they be considered employees of their schools and allowed to unionize in addition to being students at these schools? Why or why not? Uh, 
Do you agree with the NCAA that amateurism is fundamental to college sports and shouldn't go away? Uh, do you worry that this could forever change college sports, maybe for the worse? We especially want to hear from you if you are in any way involved with or have been involved with college sports. What's your take on all of this? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter. Comments there, and we'll work in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking about the idea of paying college athletes, making them into employees, is what uh, a bill in Congress would seek to do. It would also give those employees the ability to unionize. We want to hear from you what you think about what would be a pretty radical change to the landscape of college sports as we know it right now. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, we're also joined by someone else who is giving a lot of thought to this issue right now. Uh, Dan Murphy is an ESPN staff writer and joins us to talk about this. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, how does this effort in Congress change or move forward this conversation about compensating college athletes? I know the universities have been trying to keep the government out of this. Now the government's saying, well, we might get involved. Does this, does this put more pressure on university presidents and athletic directors? Yeah, I think it does. And I, so for the past decade or so, there's been this general movement to try to to allow athletes to get more because the, the nature of college sports and the money it brings in has changed. And for most of that decade, uh, the NCAA has wanted to have complete control and say, no, we can take care of this. We don't need help from any lawmakers or try even, you know, there's been a series of, of lawsuits, antitrust lawsuits in federal court that they've tried to, to fend off. And <clears throat> about a year ago, because some of the, the name, image and likeness debate over allowing athletes to make money from third party endorsements, uh, the NCAA actually went to Congress and said, now we do, in fact, need your help. And so they sort of creaked the door open to allow Congress to jump in and try to help them create some some national standard rules there. And I think, you know, this bill and, and some others from Congress have have taken that uh, small door opening and, and brought a battering ram to it and are trying to, to make some major changes and reforms to the way college sports runs its business. Yeah. Uh, what's the NCAA saying about all of this in Congress? So the and there are kind of two different pots, right? There's the ability for athletes to make money from third-party groups, and the NCAA has has come around or been forced to come around on that idea, and that's a change that's coming most likely this summer in most places, and that was spurred actually by state laws. There's one in Michigan as well as you know a dozen other states or so that have um, changed laws that will make it illegal for schools to prevent athletes from making money from third parties. Um, and then obviously this new bill takes things a step further and says, no, athletes actually should be considered employees of the schools themselves. And the relationship between the school and the athlete should be changed. And that's 
um, you know, as over the past decade, as the NCAA has allowed more and more compensation to athletes, whether it's in the form of a, an attendant, an attendance stipend that covers the full cost of, of hidden costs of going to college or allowing them unlimited meals or more benefits. Um, the hill that they've always sort of stuck in and been willing to die on is we're not going to ever consider athletes to be employees. We have to keep a clear distinction between what we're doing and what professional sports is, that these are students first. Um, and I, I think that's ground that they are, are still unwilling to cede. And this is the, the bill that we're talking about here with the, the ability for athletes to collectively bargain and be considered employees is the most direct challenge to this uh, you know, hallowed ground that the NCAA does not want to give up. Mm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, Ed in Detroit. Ed, what's on your mind? Timely conversation, as always. Hmm, thank you. Um, most of the time when people discuss this issue of compensation, uh, it's my impression people have in mind uh, this, the status of the power conferences, mm-hmm. uh, where football often is a, is a great moneymaker, particularly to most successful schools, and men's basketball tends to make a profit, and those two sports basically pay for the non-revenue, the, the other sure. men's sports and the women's sports, the so-called non-revenue sports. People rarely discuss or, in my view, think about the mid-major on down D1 level schools, the D2, D3, and mm-hmm. NAIA schools. Most student-athletes are in those levels of sport, and many of those schools yeah, there's a lot uh, less money floating even around. At yeah, best yeah. Intercollegiate athletics. And and I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but we're gonna we're gonna run out of time. It's a great question, and I want to give Dan Murphy some some time to to address it. What about the money question? Would this would this really maybe break some some universities if they had to pay athletes? So, and again, remember, this isn't a direct, you don't have to necessarily pay athletes, right? To, it just gives athletes the ability to bargain a little bit. So sure. um, it, it doesn't necessarily guarantee any type of salary or anything like that here. And, and I agree that there is obviously a, a huge difference between the University of Michigan and Michigan State, for instance, and Wayne State or something like that, right? right. Trying to govern them all under the same set of rules is, in fact, probably one of the biggest problems the NCAA has right now. There are more than a thousand members of the NCAA, and that ranges everything from, uh, you know, the small school that where the kid was probably a decent high school athlete to somebody who is the next uh, superstar NFL or NBA player. And, and trying to put those all under the same bucket causes a lot of these problems. Um, but I think, you know, the the benefit of, of name, image and likeness is, is basically just opening up the market and, and trying to create those opportunities for uh, an open market uh, for those athletes to who have those opportunities. And one of the things it does is it actually kind of forces colleges and athletic conferences to live their professed values in a certain way, right? Where a college wants to say, we are here to create the most number of opportunities for the most students possible in athletics. Uh, when in fact, what they normally do when they're talking with their checkbooks is they they spend as much money they can on football and basketball and those, those schools that produce big dollar figures. Um, and and hurt smaller sports as a result of that. So this is forcing them to to kind of put their money where their mouth is, mouth is and say, okay, if you really care about these opportunities, 
you need to spread some of that wealth out and maybe not pay the assistant football coach $2 million, but, but keep the women's track team. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dan Murphy, ESPN staff writer, thanks very much for joining us uh, to talk about this subject. Thank you. It's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when Senator Debbie Stabenow is going to come onto the program. And journalist Jess McHugh is going to join to talk about the true history of 13 of America's most popular books. That's the subject of her new book, Americanon, an unexpected U.S. history in 13 best-selling books.